0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with writer and editor Angela Meyer. Angela's debut novel is A Superior Spectre and it's an intriguing trip into the past and forward into our near future. I'm Andrew Popel and every week I explore books, writing and literary culture broadcasting Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Great Conversations is a way for me to enlarge that discussion. It's a weekly podcast sharing the stories and the issues that make our world tick. Get behind the scenes, talk to the creators of the books that you're going to come to love. Now, taking us from the Scottish Highlands of the 19th century into our near future where the world faces a resource crisis, a superior spectre exposes identity and sexuality across the ages. Jeff has travelled to Scotland to die. Isolated and alone, he possesses the technology to throw his mind back through time. Lenora faces the daunting task of moving to Edinburgh, the city where her mother died, and as she moves south, she discovers the strange sights of the city are nothing compared to the images of the future visited in visions as if from another mind. Join me as I explore this strange world in my conversation with Angela Meyer about a superior spectre. I'm joined on the line by Angela Meyer. Angela has been widely published in journals such as The Lifted Brow and Killings, and today she's joining me to discuss her debut novel, The Absolutely Intriguing A Superior Spectre. Welcome, Angela.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, as I think everyone will understand when I give them a little bit of a, an intro. Jeff has travelled to the north of Scotland to die. Abandoning his life in Melbourne, he wants to escape and punish himself for a hidden life that he cannot face. He seeks out connection through a device that allows him to fling his consciousness through history and occupy the mind of another. In 1860 Scotland, Lenora must confront her future as her father considers remarrying. Leaving the Highlands for Edinburgh, Lenora has cause to fear the city where her mother died. More so, she fears the strange visions she receives of impossible lands and the eyes staring back from the mirror. Eyes that are not hers. I was I was kind of hooked just mm-hmm. with the premise. Um and the payoff is so much so much grander than that. So yeah, I I've really enjoyed the superior specter. I hope I've just done justice to the drama that you, you weave into those twinned narratives. Um in Lenora and Jeff, we have these characters that are forced to confront their world and their natures, and neither of them feel like they belong. Neither of them feel like they can trust the world or trust uh, anyone with their secret. Now, in a book that's very much concerned with identity, were you, were you hoping here to problematise our interior lives?
1: Absolutely. I think that is one of the most interesting things that literature can do. And I think for the reader to feel both, you know, being entertained by the novel, but to feel this slight disturbance kind of happening within them, I guess that's something that some of my favourite books have done to me. And it creates a very real psychological kind of effect and uh, hopefully also effects on emotions, senses, and everything being kind of engaged by the book. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot... There's a lot going on with Jeff being in Leonora's mind. Jeff being very, very far away from everything he knew, and choosing to let himself die when technology has advanced that you know he could pretty much prolong his life on and on. Um, yeah,
0: <laughs> we have we have this really interesting intersection of taboo as well. Both Jeff and Leonora feel. That they can't share their interior world because of taboo around, around what what they understand themselves to be experiencing, and it's, well, I mean, do you feel like it's particularly different, even though they're flung across sort of two centuries from each other? Would would Leonora actually get much more understanding were she to exist in, in our early twenty first century, or or Jeff's slightly future version?
1: I think. Leonora would still have some struggles. I mean, this is one reason it's really interesting to write a woman in the 19th century, um, because while a lot has changed, one telling thing is that some of the reviews have mentioned how they haven't read a book which talks about sort of the feeling of uh, a woman menstruating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something Jeff experiences because he's living in her body. Um, But I think that's telling in a way that, like, if that's still a new thing, perhaps we haven't come all that far um, and
0: sorry tell me what you were thinking with Jeff with that question well Jeff we we this is this is sort of spoilery territory there's so much thats spoilery that's in a superior specter, yeah. but but Jeff Jeff is constantly referring to this uh, this shame and and taboo around his his own sexuality and sexual feelings and one thing that I really noticed was that he doesn't fully understand his own sexuality because of this shame. He has never explored it, so he—he, he, I feel like he even makes assumptions about what he is feeling, but he doesn't truly know. Um, so the stigma—the stigma that he feels is, is quite real. It may be something that that today someone would shun him for, but I think it's also something that uh, he might not necessarily have need to have this fear of. That's
1: right, and I guess those are questions that I like. To be raised it's a very it's very complex territory uh, but the shame that he feels for this very specific attraction that he has that he may or may not have explored Um, the quest there's a question there in that if he had shared his full self with his wife Mm. who he's left would he have healed in some way and Um, there's actually a bit of a feminist question there as well about the idea of men and women as friends and um, whether or not men feel they can share their full selves with women or whether they think women would understand the psychological complexity, whether they see them as people enough to know that they might understand that psychological complexity. So there's a bit of a question there, and I find that his wife, uh, even though you don't get much of her in the book at all, is she sort of stayed with me as quite a poignant character who was not treated that well and left behind, and really there was potential there for such a beautiful relationship, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of Jeff is he's he's dealing with this sort of shame, and he's beating himself up over it, but at the same time, he's he's literally being a predator in the mind of a young woman. So he's feeling a lot of shame over something he may or may not have done and these sort of desires he has, but he's not really feeling that much shame over continually invading the mind of a young woman. Um, I mean, he comes around and, you know, he goes through a lot of thoughts over that, but I think I sort of didn't realize I was saying it as I was writing it, but I realized afterwards that there was an idea there that what he... Is having done uh, is more significant when he thinks about in relation to boys and men as opposed to any of the women in his life, whether that's the landlord, whether that's Leonora, whether that's his wife.
0: Yeah, and I really, I I hope we can come back to the questions that you've just raised around the way women's agency is viewed, again, across Mm. centuries. But first, I I need to confess um, that I found I much preferred Leonora's company and, and her unfolding story as I read. Um
1: yeah, and I think most most readers do and will and there's there's a definite point to that. Um but it's been surprising actually. It's been actually really beautiful to see all kinds of different responses to both of the characters mm-hmm. and how some people are vehemently like responding to one or the other because to see that kind of emotion is just astounding to me, like in the reader. I'm like, Oh wow, like something that's come out of your head mm-hmm. and you know, for people to know the characters and for them to have gotten inside their heads, you know, is just absolutely fascinating.
0: Well, Jeff, Jeff felt too parasitic. His his recriminations mm-hmm. as well, they, they just couldn't offset for me the selfishness of his actions. Um, nobody cares what I thought, though. I want to know, do you have a favourite? Or did you have a favourite as you wrote?
1: I'm not going to reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that other thing that you say about Jeff, the, the selfishness, um, that's partly as well, I think it's writing uh entitlement you know and that's a word I guess we can feel is overused at times but he is a middle class white man and I've I very much drew on a lot of things around me uh Mm. culturally but also a lot of um people I've encountered in my life perhaps um to to write someone who's very selfish self-absorbed and um very entitled to his own suffering as well, which can be a, a capitalist kind of thing. I think it's you know the, the individualist entitlement um, to for each of us to our own uh, selves and our own expression and our own uh, thoughts and desires, um, and it does take us away from society. So he physically goes away, but it takes us away from. Day to day generosity to others and and community and things like that. So I think there's a, a symbolic element uh, to him in that as well.
0: Well, can we expand on that then? Because I was really interested in Jeff's none too subtle immersion in Lenora's life, and we've we've maybe uh, we've maybe been a bit coy talking about this at the moment. But in in the Superior Spectre, he has technology that allows him to not just sort of view the past; he occupies. Lenora. Um that's right. And in it, in in this occupation, in this immersion in Lenora's life, I saw parallels in the way a reader might dive into a narrative world at the expense of their own. Um yes. a way a way that as I confessed off air to you, I you know, I, I took some solace in a superior specter as, as a sort of a fantastic, engaging read. Um against other things that I was doing and reading which were, were maybe more confronting. I could, I could get a little bit lost in the book. But mm-hmm. but what I wondered, though, can can our literary obsessions, in the same way Jeff's immersion, can they ever become problematic? Say it isn't so.
1: I think this is a question I didn't necessarily mean to have in the book, but when I think about my life and how it's been ensconced with literature, I mean, I was a literary blogger, I was a reviewer, uh, I worked for the book trade magazine, I was a bookseller, and now I work in publishing. Uh, books are my entire life, so perhaps there is a philosophical consideration in there of the way that I've lived my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, to be completely absorbed and obsessed with literature, uh, is I do question, um, is it making books can make a difference to the world but only if there is action beyond the reading of the of the page you know so um leonora could perhaps change jeff as a person but only if there is some action beyond you know him invading her mind and just taking it for his pleasure uh does that make sense
0: yeah i mean it stands in stark contrast i guess to the way we or, or literary-minded people may view the idea of books as facilitating empathy and allowing an individual to move beyond their own their own space. Um, and I, I liked what you said there about action needs to go further than the page. We can't just we can't just change our mind and then as as Jeff does, he sort of has this self-satisfied sense that he can now be be alone. He has the luxury of of this solitude. That's right. Mm. Um. In the second part of the novel, you take Leonora's voice into the first person. Uh, It's a really interesting perspective shift that I found for myself as the reader, but I also wondered about what you wanted to reflect around ideas of consciousness and this immersion of Jeffs that we've just been talking about, this immersion into Leonora's life.
1: Well, I think it's a little bit tied to the last question where um, a book can allow you to you know, to see from someone else's point of view. So Mm. at that point, we're shifting closer to Jeff, but as he's shifting closer to Leonora, Mm. and so then we're kind of channeling through him to also see everything and feel everything that she does um, without this other sort of remove. Um, But then it also allows us to question who is really telling the story and who has the right to tell, Story, Um, and of course, uh, without you know giving much away, there are other sort of little clues to that as well. Um, But do you know when I was writing it? It's funny to talk about in in an almost academic way because it just happened. Like Mm -hmm. this is one of those mysterious writerly things, but it just happened. I just was like, this is now in first person. It just started sort of. It's like Leonora um, came closer to me at that point as
0: well. Okay. As she comes to term, uh with her vision, so she very much understands what is happening through Jeff as as visions initially. Um, as she comes to terms with these visions, Leonora reflects that perhaps, collect- uh, perhaps collectively it is mad women who are imagining the future. And mm. Leonora's inquiring mind and her interest in the natural sciences, they mark her out amongst women in her age, so, while we as modern readers might recognize her talent, her intelligence, I felt like you were also juxtaposing any progress that we've made as a society with Jeff's disdainful dismissing of, of Bathia, his, his, um, mm-hmm, his landlady's, yeah. her writing career. He, he just, he, he's almost afraid of it. What do you feel our past misunderstandings of women and, and of mental health have to teach us about our present?
1: It's mm, a big question. <laughs> um, I think that we can still interrogate the way that we look at uh, women's expressions and women's interests uh, and the way we still as a society can jump to, like if a woman is expressing uh, anger or is upset or something, the way this idea of hysteria or something like that uh, is still something that can be jumped to very quickly, whereas if a man is angry or upset or yelling, it's not, we still don't perceive, it, we don't jump to that sort of perception as quickly. And I'm not just saying that that men jump to this perception, I'm saying all like culturally, mm. um, this you know, stuff is is sort of ingrained. Um, Yeah, so I guess that I definitely, you're definitely right in the way that Jeff reacts to women in the present is a way to sort of show that there's still a way that he is distancing them from him as people. There's a way that he is viewing them as um silly or as uh you know he's he's able to dismiss their interests their uh the things that they hang on he's still able to dismiss their interests their careers their desires like his his wife you realize that he was with her for a lot longer than perhaps he should have been if he knew you know he didn't Want to have children or whatever? He he, sort of dragged it out. Um, it's it's a sort of a lack of. Uh, it's not a lack of respect, but it's an actual lack of seeing women as equal beings, as people with thoughts and desires and emotions that are as valid as as his own.
0: I was also really interested in another um, point that you made against not no, sorry not against but. Um, perhaps paralleling this idea of acknowledging women's agency and women's uh, perspective and denying privilege. There was also the sense, and it was um, evoked in a later part of the book by by Edward, where Lenora's... She's confessed her visions and is, is suffering consequences for that. And she's told that she almost should be grateful because... You know, if this had only been just a few short years earlier, what she was experiencing might be a whole lot more brutal and there is still this sense that it's not that you're allowed to ask for more and demand equality. Like, be grateful that it's not worse.
1: That's right, that's mm. right. And I think that any woman can probably relate to that idea now because I think uh, I even still find it hard to have any kind of conversation about feminism because where I grew up, yeah, I, I was constantly told to be grateful for, for the progress already made. Mm. Uh, you know, when every day, yeah, you're kind of like running up against these small walls. Uh, and it often is just that very subtle acknowledgement that, um, if you're in a room full of men, for example, that your, your point of view your thoughts are just as valid. I mean, I worked in a whiskey bar for a while while I was writing this book, and I had three male colleagues and this was a really interesting example of this because I was a woman. people automatically assumed all the time that I didn't have as much knowledge as them about whiskey, and I was the one who actually had traveled to many of the regions uh, you know and had this very sort of deep knowledge and um, excitement over it and I loved. To talk about it but I constantly found it difficult because I was just talked over um, so yeah I mean I think yeah any woman sort of knows that that we're still coming up against these sorts of things each day and and you can shrug it off and you can shrug it off but within you it's difficult to be reminded constantly that you're not a full Human being in other, you know, in mm. in the eyes of, and it, people don't mean to do it. This is this is a structural thing, you know. Mm. It's it's a structural inequality that that's still there. And both, and you know, there are ways absolutely that men suffer from this as well, um, are limited by it. And I think that's why actually, as a character, I have a lot of empathy for Jeff, as, as horrible as he is, and I like that some readers have. Had that as well because he's just as much a product of his society. I think Mm.
0: we are definitely not going to go into the single malt that I've been having with lemon and honey to try and help my throat because I feel (laughs) like oh no addition. I I feel like you're going to flame me alive for that. Um, Maybe I do want to. I do want to. I do want to clear my throat. So pardon me. Right, I almost made it through. Um, (laughs) I feel like I've paid short shrift to the... I can't... I'm, I'm losing my voice. I'm so sorry, Angela. Hang on one That's sec. okay. I think it's back. It's back! Ha! Hurrah! Yay. Um, yeah, look, I feel like I've paid short shrift to the speculative elements of the novel. Um, and, and I shouldn't, because it is so exciting and so important to the narrative you've created. There was a subtle hint that I thought I found later in the novel that Leonora may not be the only one in her world visited by the future. Now, this... This technology, you imagine, could explain so many phenomenon from, from I, I guess, ideas of past life recall to perhaps even the genius of innovation and the way technology seems to be accelerating at the moment. Does it boggle your mind a little bit to imagine in the world that you've created, we might be living in this sort of closed loop of personality, like somehow everyone in the past is influenced by the future and maybe the end of history happens there. I don't, I don't know. I just loved it.
1: It is a very fun and, and mind-boggling thing and I hope, you know, some readers maybe stay awake thinking about it after reading the novel besides, you know, the other thematic things that are there. Um, but I'm just really, really fascinated always by advances in um, neurotech and also nanotechnology and to combine the two, I guess, uh, is really fun. Um and I read uh this book called The Brain Supremacy by uh, no, no no the author's gone out of my head. Kathleen <laughs> Taylor, uh, a few years ago when I was um gathering a lot of the ideas for the book and she talked about she talks about in that book the possibility of mind reading with mm-hmm. like advances in technology and it's it's an actual like thing she's speculating uh in a non fiction book. So I mean, so much as possible, um, and I just find that really, really fascinating.
0: Well, I'm going to leave off with with maybe one final comment, more than a question, because mm-hmm. as as fantastic and as as advanced as your tech is in a superior spectre, I was also in the in the shifting of consciousness and Jeff's moving back in time, reminded of Granny Weatherwax from Terry Pratchett's. Um, many witches' stories, Granny Weatherwax is borrowing. Um, was that in any way... Do, are, you, are you a Terry Pratchett fan?
1: I'm not, really. But, oh. did, you know, the weirdest thing, like, since I wrote the novel, I've watched or read things where there seem to be, like, elements of things that I thought I came up with. So I think there's just this cultural, you know, ether that that you draw on or you you've seen or read something that's inspired by that or, you know, and it's kind of just, Filters through, and then I've also watched things that I watched as a child, and realised that it's that early sometimes that, of course, some of these ideas get their hooks in, um, and they often have been inspired by something else, you know. So mm. uh, while I'm not directly influenced by Pratchett, perhaps I am on some level.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think there was particularly uh, an influence so much as. Just an enjoyment of the possibility, Um, and I think I think another resonance is there's a great quote from Granny Weatherwax, and I feel like we've completely jumped away from superior spectre, but I I think it would Mm -hmm. resonate particularly with um, with Jeff's struggles, and and that is that evil is when you treat people as things, including yourself. Um, But yeah, amazing how I've managed to work. Yeah, yeah, amazing how I've managed to work Terry Pratchett into this. I am speaking, I'm speaking with Angela Meyer. We are discussing a superior specter, her debut novel, one that I've enjoyed immensely. Um, I'm sort of doing a bit of a radio ending here, Angela, but like I've really appreciated the way that you've, you've engaged with these questions.
1: Thank you so much. It's been great.
0: That's it for this great conversation with Angela Meyer. Angela's debut novel, A Superior Specter, is out now through Ventura Press. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, hit subscribe in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to discover more fantastic Australian writing. It's going to be delivered straight to your phone every week. And if you are enjoying the show, please rate us. It'll really help others to discover the world of Australian writing. To keep up with the latest books, writing, and literary culture, why not follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook? You just look for the at Final Draft 2 SER handle. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Drafts. so I'll see you then.